Welcome to another episode of Quarren Stream, yet another Cinestop podcast. I am Jared Kingery. I'm Cody Viafania. And Cody, we've switched coasts again. Yes. Um, we are back in Los Angeles, and please welcome our guest, comedian Lisa Curry. Hey, Lisa, what's welcome. up? Thanks for joining us. Uh, so, um, Lisa, as a uh, staff writer for uh, the Jim Jeffries show, and um, obviously a comedian in LA, um, much like everyone else, quarantined um, in Los Angeles. Um, tell us, I guess, uh, what you've been doing during this quarantine. How's, how's it being a comedian during these times? Um, well, you're going to hate me cause I've, I'm actually having quite a nice time. <laughs> oh, well, cool. <laughs> like, I, I mean, Jim Jeffrey's show wrapped in November. So I've been on unemployment since then anyway. So it's kind of, it feels like it hasn't affected my life this quite the same way it has affected others. And um, I'm, I'm also pretty self-entertained. Like, obviously, I miss doing stand-up and I miss uh, going to restaurants with friends. But I adopted a puppy. I wallpapered my bathroom. I'm organizing <laughs> files. I'm reading more. I'm writing more. Like, it's I, – I feel like I have so many other things I'm trying to catch up on that kind of started to fall apart because I was doing so much stand-up that I'm it, – it's kind of nice to take a break from stand-up for a minute. It's been interesting to talk to people because that it's it's sort of across the board. We've heard from people, from some comedians um, who are just sort of uh, in hell right now, not being able to do anything. And then there's been a couple people we've talked to who are like, yeah, this was a much needed break that I probably wouldn't have taken on my own had it not been like necessitated. Oh, yeah. There, I mean, I think there's no way I would have taken a break because I'm always going like 100 miles an hour. And also there's there's no pressure with this break. It's not like... You know, usually if you if you're like, I just need a month of fucking downtime and I need to see my family or whatever you, you want to do. There's always this fear of people kind of gaining gaining on you, you know, and losing your footing and falling behind. And now it's even no one's yeah, able yeah. to we're all we all have the same restrictions. So no one's getting ahead of you while you're taking a break, which feels really it's a it's a huge relief. That's that's a super interesting uh, perspective. I haven't. No, I, yeah, and th- that's what I'm. I I was going to mention that too. You, you know, everyone's on the same playing field, so your your break isn't you know you missing out on whatever job is coming up or whatever, you know, um, you know, working out new material or or whatever. It's just it's all no. It's a it's a forced timeout for everyone. Totally. And, uh, I speaking of I. Uh, I also ended up painting our living room um, and dining and a hallway during this uh, quarantine. So that's where the board, that's where the boredom has been taken out. It it, did, it did. It was really therapeutic for the, you know, week I was doing it and now I just want to do more, but you know, we don't have any money to do more. So So it's gotta be, uh, it's gotta wait, but yeah, it's um, it, it is, it is interesting how different people have approached it. How, what, what made you adopt a puppy? Was that, just because you were on a break or was it something you wanted to do anyway? Um, it's something that I wanted to do for a long time and I was reluctant because, I mean, I wanted to adopt a dog, but then specifically I wanted a puppy because it's, I have a lot of friends that have adopted shelter dogs and, and mine came from a shelter, but I wanted a puppy over an adult dog because a lot of times the adult dogs come with like all this emotional baggage and it's like, trying to navigate around that is really hard. And um, I just never had time to train a puppy. And now I'm like, oh, well, I'm home at at least for the next three months. Like I got her a month ago. Um, mm-hmm. 
And I'm like, and I was out of LA. I was out of the country for two months last year and then out of LA for an additional two months. So it's like, I was touring around a lot doing stand up, And now I don't think that's coming back for quite a while. So it's like, and even when it does come back now that I'm like getting writing jobs more regularly here, I'm not going to like leave the country for two or three months. You know, right. there's, I just, I couldn't do that because of my career anyway, cause I'm just in a different place. So it just felt like the right timing. You left the country for uh, touring? Yeah, I am. Um, there's a big festival in Wales that I do every year. And uh, so I had like that booked. Or Well, last year I did that and I recorded my album overseas and I did like a military tour and then just like a bunch of other shows in between. And it ended up, uh, you know, going on for quite a while. I mean, I had shows almost every single night for two months. I think I, there was like two nights off, <laughs> which was crazy. Where did you record your album? In London, there's this club called Top Secret Comedy Club. Um, I can't remember the neighborhood, but it's it's so great. And the whole reason I recorded there was because I had I had done shows there in 2018, and they really liked me and they offered me the space and they like they gave me two shows back to back and they staffed it and they let me keep the door and like oh, that's awesome. unless you're famous in the states, that's not happening. Like you're right, paying right. for the venue, and it was just too good of a deal to pass up. And they helped me promote it, which is like you know. Uh, Asking a venue here to help promote a show that's at their venue is sometimes like pulling teeth for I don't know why. <laughs> is So is your material uh, tailored for a, a, a British crowd in that regard? Or was it is your material pretty broad? Um, universal um, anyway? It's more broad and based on like my own personal experiences and like uh it's not observational comedy so i think maybe that okay. helps um it's m much more personal and but there were mm -hmm. there were like phrases and little things that i tweaked like there was a whole uh bit that i did where like the punchline included something about your employer giving you health care and it just obviously doesn't work <laughs> there because they were like what so i had to just move that around and you know a couple other things but then i was able to like get a couple extra laughs making fun of americans yeah, that's always an e that's always an easy thing to do. It's pretty easy. We're pretty yeah. dumb. Yeah, and, part. yeah. <laughs> I mean, as evidenced by what's going on in the world as we're speaking. So, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, the whole country's on fire. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I have a quick question. So you had mentioned that, um, uh, you know, just kind of you you were having more writing gigs come up, and I was curious to know because I think you're the first person we've talked to who has also have some like have some staff writing experience. Do you are you finding that it's impacting both of those worlds equally, like stand up and writing, or do you see one of those coming back sooner and more opportunities happening sooner? Um, I I think writing, I I think the beginning of the pandemic when we were first when this was first happening and it was like really uh, hard to take people weren't able to write as much like every every creative person I talked to whether they were a new writer or like a very tenured writer or even my head writer from Jim Jeffrey show was telling me like th they were having a very hard time writing initially and I think a lot of that has kind of gone away like we're we've kind of settled into being quarantined and whatever and uh, you know many people have found rhythm or have come up with schedules for themselves as far as stand-up is I I can't see it coming back before the end of the year. And I think that there's there's some clubs that are starting back up, but I, the ones that are, I'm not trusting them. <laughs> I'm not <laughs> trusting that things are safe. And I've 
talked to a lot of other comics and there's a very real concern of like, okay, well, the comics are more than likely if, if they start doing shows, even if it's like limited capacity and whatever, before there's a vaccine, the comic on stage more than likely isn't going to be wearing a mask. You can't be wearing a Like there's so much that you Mm -hmm. say in your face that that's going to get lost. So let's say you're not wearing a mask and all the audiences. Well, if somebody takes their mask off to take a drink, and doesn't put it back on, then you're you're facing them. You're you're on stage. You're facing them. You will see that before anyone else will see it. So then it's like, then what do you do? Do you stop the show and call them out and then get in an argument with them when inevitably they're like, oh well, I have antibodies or whatever dumb bullshit somebody's <laughs> going to say. It's like it's it's just going to be a nightmare. But then again, I do think since other countries are handling this so much better than us. I'm very, very, very grateful that I have, I have a little bit of a footing in the UK and in Europe because I think stand up will come back there fully long before it comes back here fully. Because of the the steps that they've taken to handle it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just the other day, uh, I think this was yesterday or two days ago. I don't know. Time doesn't matter anymore. Um, (laughs) But I I saw that New Zealand had their last uh, case of coronavirus, which is huge. And it's like you can the the thing also, as far as stand up goes, I I live in L.A. and do stand up here. I, I make almost no money from stand up in Los Angeles, like all the money to be made from stand up is either on the road, um, which so sorry, I don't trust people in the middle of the country that think this is a hoax. So <laughs> I, it's like I'm not yeah. going to red states anymore. Fuck that. It's just <laughs> too dangerous. Um, but then it's like you make real money overseas. Like I, every gig pays, even if it's little a little bar gig, even if you're doing like a work in progress show and the audience knows it's going to be rough and it's going to, you're going to have notes on stage or whatever. When you're developing your show, people still want to see you succeed. And they, they respect that you're doing something that they can't do where I think that there's, and this is like a whole breakdown. You could stop me at any time, but no, I have no, this no. theory because in the States, especially like in New York and LA, people don't give a fuck if you do stand up because they, they, they everyone here thinks they can and should be famous right and they see you performing on stage and they're like well that person's standing and talking i can stand and i can talk i can do that like that's their how they deduce it in their brain where i think and there's also like it's a very american thing to have like this desperation for fame uh at all costs and that doesn't at least in my experience i don't see that among people like in london for example like even the tv writers that i know in london are like yeah write for tv who cares it's a job like i mean they're not they're happy to have their jobs but they're not like my goal is to be a famous tv writer or like a like people want to do good work and i think i'm getting a little bit off track here but i i think also because they have like socialized medicine and because life is just more affordable in europe than it is here i you know there isn't the quite the wealth disparity that we've that we've created mm-hmm. i think there isn't a a need for the desperation to become famous so that you can support your family because i think that in like a deep subconscious way i think that's where part of that comes from it's like well if i have fame equals wealth and wealth equals 
me being able to have a decent life. Where there, that doesn't exist as much. So if somebody's a dentist, they can sit back and watch a comedy show and appreciate a comedy show without thinking, oh, I got to be famous too. You know, like this. <laughs> yeah. That's interesting. Um, and I wonder if it, if it's just a, a sheer, I mean, obviously there's vast political differences and it, it's kind of uh, insurmountable probably at this point, but the sheer size of the United States versus, you know, the UK or um, anywhere else like that, that, you know, you can be a, a star on YouTube, for example, and then book a comedy show based on that for some strange reason. Um, and I mean, the strange reason is that it brings butts to seats and it, it is that sort of idea that anyone can be, fa- I mean, you know, yeah. look at the idea that we have a reality TV star as the president of the United States. For, I mean, how fucking embarrassing <laughs> every day. So embarrassing for, for, for no particular reason other than people knew who he was. And um, you know, that, it seems like that does seem to me like a truly American phenomenon. Oh yeah. Um, in that, you know, this is someone who's famous. So you want to emulate them or you want to praise them. Um, There's also, I'll say when I first went overseas last in 2018, it, the the whole, the catalyst was, I did that festival in Wales, which I love so much. It's called Mac Fest. It's fucking amazing. Uh, and I was the first American to do it in 10 years. So I'm um, oh, no, pretty no. proud of that. <laughs> But they were like, hey, when you write your bio for the the for the pamphlet, for the thing, they're like, don't put any credits in. They're like, Americans are obsessed with credits. They're like, no one here gives a fuck what you wrote for, what you did. They're like, they want to know about what life experiences you've had that you're bringing to the table that may come through in your show. They're like, they want to know about you as a person and not what you what you've accomplished in your career. And I was like. I found that across the board in Europe. And I'm like, that's, that's interesting. So much different. Uh, so wh- how is the scene there um, when it comes to bringing in, uh, uh, you know, foreigners or outsiders, like being an American, do you, do you get along well with the, the British comedians that are there or any of the other, you know, wherever oh, else yeah, you've gone? Absolutely. Um, I mean, I found that they are really, really welcoming. They, they love American standup. I mean, we're, stand-up started here so they already Mm -hmm. have so much more respect for us uh just uh, in a very general sense uh in a really in a really broad way they're like like they look up to american stand-ups and they're like that's that's the bar that's what we want to do yeah is there have you did you notice though like a different style of comedy i think the, the thing that strikes me most when i watch like british comedy for example, like the IT crowd, or if you ever watched uh, uh, Ricky Gervais extras and the show that he created on there, it just has like this weird, broad, super broad character. Um, you, you're familiar. Are you familiar with I it? I haven't seen extras. I mean, okay. I'm familiar with Ricky Gervais, of course. And- you're right. There's there's like a there's a, a very comical character. You know, every every show seems to have this comical, like just really broad caricature of a. Of a of a character. Mm-hmm. And I wondered if that was the same in stand up there, if, if it was a different sort of, there was a different sort of vibe to it. Like if it was, if people were more broad or, or relied more on a catchphrase or something like that, than you've noticed in uh, the United States. Um, not that I've noticed. I will say, uh, uh, 
I find their their stand up a lot of times isn't as punchy. It's not like I think New York would be the example of like what's the punchiest comedy where it's just like joke, 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 and uh-huh. um, it's a little bit more personal and storytelling there. But also, it's so much, and this is a this is a, a blanket comment. Of course, but it, generally, I found it to be much, much smarter than American comedy. Much smarter, and right. and I found when I did my shows, like in London or wherever, it, like my album recording, there's there was a joke I have that's like I I do a joke about being from Indiana and people from Indiana always bragging that like. Indiana used to be full of Native Americans. And I'm like, yeah, so is the whole country, you know? But I, when I do that joke here, I really have to spell it out and I have to walk people through it and hold their hands. And when I, when I just start it over there, when I'm like, yeah, people from Indiana always say like, oh, this is, this used to be full of Native Americans. They immediately laugh because they're like, oh yeah, yeah, the whole, that's in the name, Native American. (laughs) Like that's, you know, (laughs) just things like that where they're, they're already, so far ahead of people here where they uh, and and i appreciate that <laughs> yeah um you know i my time overseas was spent in japan and um i guess one of the the striking things about it is other than it being you know um c- you know clean and nice and, and you know more polite than than a big city in the united states is that so many people i mean i know that's not a problem in england but so many people know english and uh yeah. Like understand English and understand that that's, you know, everything that goes with it. Meanwhile, I don't know any Japanese because I'm an American and I, <laughs> I don't need to know any other languages, according to yeah. most people. And it was really striking how much that p- plays into the rest of the world, knowing, you know, knowing American culture, knowing English, knowing, appreciating these things that we just sort of think are um kind of run of the mill and we don't bother to expand on it. I mean, you know, there are people obviously that that cross over from, you know, British comedy or Australian or, or whatever to America, uh, Jim Jeffries, for example. Um, but it doesn't, it doesn't seem to, to go the other way. A lot of times it doesn't seem like there's, you know, like a, a someone who's famous in, you know, Japan, for example, doesn't cross over because we don't, we see that as a barrier because they're Japanese and it, there's a language barrier and it doesn't it's, it's a weird isolationism that, that I don't think a lot of people really realize until they travel. Yeah. Well, and I think that we're very lucky that it just happened that English is the language of business. That's not we're it's, it, it's crazy to me that, and sorry to like, I'm just naturally <laughs> political always no it's fine totally fine <laughs> but uh, it's crazy to me that people here think it's because we're superior i'm like no this was just this be- this is because of colonization it's not because we're better or because <laughs> english is a better language it's it's a fucking stupid language that makes no sense <laughs> you, you know and it's like <laughs> it's also like who's smarter someone that only knows english or someone that knows two or three languages you know what I mean? Like there's, it's, it's so crazy that there's any kind of, um, <laughs> the, the Americans like look down at people for speaking other languages. <laughs> it really <laughs> is so dumb. It, 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 no sense. I mean, I know, I know a, a very little bit of Spanish to get by. 
right you know and that's i not... can pretty much buy drugs and get somebody to give <laughs> hand me a gun and like that's that that's the end of my spanish well you know what's what's interesting is my wife is mexican and um her parents both speak fluent spanish you know they're they're not from mexico but they both speak fluent spanish you know they're they were born in the united states and at the time when she was a kid it was looked down upon to teach your kids spanish so she doesn't know any Spanish. I mean, she knows the little bit that I do. And now it's totally changed, at least, well, at least among the, the Hispanic culture here. Um, but yeah, it was it was just sort of like, like humiliated out of these people um, that spoke two languages to, to not teach their kids <laughs> Spanish, which would have only benefited them. Oh, yeah. I mean, my family was like that with um, my mother's grandparents were from Poland and I mean, my great grandfather spoke eight languages and my, my grandma was mortified by it because she just, I, and I think like uh, she was from a different time in that, you know, she was like a first generation Polish girl growing up in East Chicago. So she was made fun of for that. Mm -hmm. So when I was a kid, she never spoke Polish around me. I mean, I called her Busha because it's like that's grandma in Polish. But like when we were in public and away from like because it was my grandpa's rule, like he wanted us to learn Polish, but he was an alcoholic and had to go to therapy, like go go away to therapy. So we all lost it while he was gone because she didn't want to speak it and was just like so embarrassed. And like when we were away from him, she'd be like, call me grandma. And I'm like, what the fuck? I've been calling you wow. Busha since I was a baby. And now I'm. 12 and you want me to call you grandma uh-uh like <laughs> that's weird it's it's weird and it's also like and like sad I, like in a way it's, it's so sad and it's also it's like it doesn't hurt you to have more information in any case in any like no matter what the subject is and as a matter of fact i was actually i was in uh tel aviv years ago with my aunt my mom's sister and my and she had decided to teach herself Polish because she was like, this is absurd. I want to learn Polish and like, I want to know more about my history and whatever. So we're at some point we're lost in Israel. We, we can't find where we're going. And um, these we come upon these guys and they only speak Hebrew, which is odd because most people speak English, you know, wherever. Right. And then my aunt in Polish asked them, well, do you speak Polish? And the guy was like, yeah, I do. And was able to give us directions and help us out. And I'm like, who the fuck would have thought <laughs> that that was like that? That was so helpful, you know, and it's like you never know when something like that will come in handy. Yeah, I I, I mean, it's again, it's baffling to me, you know, that that it's such a, a weird thing to, to be that some people see it as as less than then would they would see it as a benefit and i think that you know you know my dad knows the the spanish curse words and everything but, right you know which is kind of a requirement for being you know in in this part of texas that that i grew up in but uh you know that 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 someone would say like no you know if you speak english or if you speak spanish here like that's that's you know again i'm getting political here and i really shouldn't but um <laughs> but it, it is uh it is one of those things that that always has baffled me you know and as i've grown up and grown uh into the calcified person that i am you know with the the view on certain aspects of this country it, it's even more puzzling but i digress anyway 
English, uh, the English people, uh, comedy fans. They're yes. great. Yeah, they love it. And honest to God, like, honestly, um, I, I think a lot about moving over there. Um, it's just it's such a better environment for comedy. And, and again, the only option here to make money from stand-up is to, well, unless you're fa- you can either be famous or you can go on the road. And it's like, I want to do smart sociopolitical comedy. I don't want to dumb it down for people in areas where they're not getting a good education and (laughs) they're fucking racist and they've got three teeth or whatever. Like I don't want (laughs) to try to play to that crowd. I don't care. I, they can fuck off. Like, is it, is it any easier there or different? I guess there to, to maneuver the scene. Like, like, is it, is it, is it constructed the same in which there's, there's clubs and places and you go out on the road and do that or? Well, there's gigs kind of everywhere. Um, like small towns have gigs. Like it, 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 that's, that's kind of the same where comedy is just sort of everywhere. It feels like, uh, the one major difference is that even in like really dense cities, like London, people aren't doing multiple sets a night. Like mm. they're, it's funny because they look up to American comics so much, but they they haven't wrapped their mind around the reason we're better at stand up in a blanket way generally is or, be, or the reason we're able to do stand up in a way they're not is because we're doing two, three, four, eight sets a night and taking notes in between and rewriting and rewriting where they'll do they'll do shows every night, but it'll be one show a night yeah like where when i tried to double up on shows there it was that's kind of when the wheels fell off like i missed a bunch of shows when i was overseas because they don't they don't run things as tightly because they don't expect you to do any other show but the one that you're on that night Hmm. so uh, what's the the like the density of clubs like in london is there a lot of comedy clubs in london I, i mean i i've I've never been there, and I I really want to go one day. Got to go. There's a few major clubs. It's kind of like L.A. or New York, where there's a few major clubs that have shows constantly and that are, you know, varying difficulties to get into. And then there's tons of indie shows all over the place. There's tons of – and they also have – they call a lot of things clubs that aren't clubs, which is interesting. Like there's – and I don't mean this as a knock, but uh, there's this club in London. There's two locations. It's called Angel Comedy Club. And each location is just a room inside of a bar where they're, where they hold shows, but they, so the bar is not even named Angel. It's uh, one of them's Bill Murray pub. And I can't remember what the (laughs) other one is, but they call their organization Angel Comedy Club, which, which is fine. But when you're going over there for the first time as an American comic, it's very confusing. And I'm like, where's the fucking Angel Comedy Club? All I see is Bill Murray. And they're like, no, it's inside the Bill Murray. And then you go in and you're looking for a sign and they're like, no, Angel is like the concept. And it's like, huh? <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck do you mean? Then stop calling it a club. <laughs> That's weird. That's yeah, strange. It's really strange. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, uh, so we'll, we'll move on before we, we dive into too, we, before we get too political and um, tune out everyone that, that may be a, a red stater in here. I don't think there's any. I don't no, think there's, there's any definitely none. <laughs> Anyway, uh, so we're going to get to the premise of the show here, um, Lisa, and the idea is that we are going to recommend um, some movies to you. 
based on the streaming services that you have. That's the premise of the show here. And then uh, when we're done giving our, our sales pitches, you're going to give us a recommendation of a film to watch. Um, so let's let's we've, we've already uh, kind of picked something, but tell us what streaming services you have access to. Um, okay, so this is embarrassing because I have seen so few movies, but I have access <laughs> to most streaming services. Uh, <laughs> I'm the same thing. They're, they're there and I don't watch them. It's yeah, weird. Well, also, I've sublet my apartment so many times that subletters have logged in and I just never logged out. So <laughs> I have Netflix and Amazon Prime and Hulu and HBO Go and Canopy, which is the LA LA library one. Yeah, that's, that's a that's an interesting one that that sort of picked up a lot of steam for their uh, they have a lot of prestige on that platform where like it, the movie studio A twenty four has all of their stuff on there. It's uh, that's awesome. I mean, I wish I could have access to that. Can you get access out of L A. or I mean, outside of L A. You can. Yeah, it's it's for really? it's mostly set through public libraries. Um, okay, throughout cool. the country. Yeah. So what what have you been watching during this time? Like, is there anything that you've been like gravitating towards when you're consuming media? Um, not, not so much. I haven't been able to sit still very much. And I, well, I've watched a handful of movies with my boyfriend cause he's a big movie guy. Um, uh, and I hadn't seen some of the basics like Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. I just watched, uh, for the first time and, uh, bad news bears. I watched for the first time. Oh, I assume the original one, right? Yeah, the original. Okay. I love Walter Matthau so much. I also like made my boyfriend watch the odd couple cause I love it so much. Oh, wow. Um, have you ever seen? Um, um, oh well, it's not Walter Matthau, but um, uh, the American, uh, my fellow Americans, is that it? No, I've never with Jack Lemmon. I've never even heard of that. I think it's uh, it's Jack Lemmon, and I think that's what it's called. Jack Lemmon and um, James Garner. Huh. And they're like both uh, former presidents that get accused of like some sort of crime, and they're on the run. It's it's so yeah, my fellow Americans, and Dan Aykroyd's in it too. It's a uh, they're ex presidents and they hated each other, and they try to blame uh, like a a kick a string of kickbacks on them and they go huh. and run. It's interesting. <laughs> anyway, sorry, that's not Walter Matthau's Jack Lemmon, but Odd Couple, kind of the same. <laughs> I like my dream. By the way, is to remake the Odd Couple with women and with me playing Walter Matthau's character. <laughs> like I, 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 one day when I have millions of dollars, uh, <laughs> it'll be your personal project. I'm just gonna, yeah, I'm just gonna have. I'm just gonna make it. I'm gonna be like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm buying the rights to this somehow, and I'm just doing a female reboot. That would be. Um, I, I guess that would be uh, the first time, right? They've redone the Odd Couple a million times. Mm-hmm. The most recent wasn't Matthew Perry and Tom Lennon. Uh, the- I think so, right? I think it was a CBS version. Um, yeah, that's uh, that already sounds bad. I like Tom. <laughs> I, don't, I don't I, have I, anything I, against Matthew Perry, but. Tom, I love Tom Lennon, but he does some kind of terrible stuff. Um, yeah. Listen, I'll do all sorts of terrible stuff for the right price, you know. So <laughs> I. Can't well, I think he's loaded from his screenwriting jobs, so I, I think he can do it just for fun. Oh. Because he's a huge him and uh, um, Robert Ben Garant are like wrote like uh, the Night at the Museum movies and. Uh, what else did they write, Cody? Did they do Land of the Lost? They did. Didn't they do Herbie Fully Loaded? Oh yeah, they did Herbie Fully Loaded for sure. Yeah. Anyway, I think the, I think he's. Um, I think they have um, most of their success from that being um, and, and being a script doctor too. Uh, anyway, I digress. 
Sorry, I, I that's number two on your I digress count. For I know I, re- I really derailed that with a, a Jack Lemon reference. And... <laughs> flew off the rails sorry so what else you've been watching um oh um i'm still finishing watching narcos i i i've had a harder time watching tv ironically in quarantine and i think it's because i already feel so restless so the idea of sitting down for what like i already feel really restless so i only i mostly only feel good when i'm moving so if i'm like if I'm doing something active, if I'm writing or if I'm training my dog or going for a walk or whatever, where like when I sit down on the couch for a while, it hits me that I'm trapped in my apartment. The same, this, <laughs> it's so weird, but like I also haven't been able to take a bath since this happened because it's just like I, I did once and it felt like i mean i'm showering obviously but it like (laughs) (laughs) it felt like i was like panicked sitting in the bath because i think i just felt like further restrained um which is strange um all that being said i tried to watch dead to me because everybody has told me it's great and i watched uh 10 episodes and then yesterday i finished the 10th episode and then i went to start the next season and i realized that i had watched season two and not season one and i'm like wow i watch so little tv i don't even know how to watch tv this is That's ridiculous. i'm like no wonder it was so confusing because like my <laughs> boyfriend jumped in with me in the second episode and i was trying to catch him up and he's like wait who's this guy and i was like i think it's her i'm like it's her boyfriend but i think she was married to him i don't know this woman's husband is dead i'm like it's ve- they're not being very clear it's really <laughs> weird and he's like oh okay and he tried to watch it and like couldn't understand what was going on <laughs> i had uh, uh, a co-worker who did that with uh, the new star trek movies like she she watched uh whatever the last one was star trek beyond and she was asking me questions about it. And I said, well, yeah, you remember from the other movie. She's like, oh, I didn't see those. I'm like, well, what? Like, why did you jump in at this one? So I loaned her my two DV- my DVDs of the uh, of the first two. And she she finally understood. But I was like, I-, I thought that was a weird way to approach it. Like, especially if you were going to be concerned about the storyline. It's really funny. Yeah. Um, so, uh, um, by the way, you're training your dog like really training it not just to, oh, yeah. to be housebroken so you're training it like oh yeah oh uh, she's housebroken in two weeks and oh. i'm not even exaggerating like it was exactly two weeks and she was fully housebroken that's um, awesome yeah i think she's like uh, i figured she's a smart dog if she has the capacity to learn 100 commands i want to teach her 100 commands and not not oh, gosh <laughs> all for my benefit like I, I was talking to this guy that's a dog trainer and he's like you know when i when I take my dog into the car, he's like, that's nine, nine commands, you know, like one for standing next to the car and waiting one for you may enter the car. And I'm like, that's fucking boring. (laughs) I'm like, no, because I'm like, I, I, I have taught her like, you know, the basics, like sit, stay, lay down. But then she also like, when I walk her, she knows to wait at an intersection. She doesn't always do it because she's a puppy and she's excited. But like, 85% 85% of the time she stops at an intersection and sits and waits until I give her the go ahead, which I'm like, that's for her own safety, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just teaching her other fun stuff. Like I taught her hide where she puts her paw over her eyes. She like rolls it to the side <laughs> and puts her paw over her eyes. It's super cute. I really, I really love it. Yeah. That's the best. Uh, yeah. It, yeah. Sound, the, the idea of like nine commands to get into the car sounds like coding. It's it's it just sounds like it's too convoluted. Like if my dog knows stay, 
then why do I, why just stay next to the car door? It's too specific, you know? We, we've never trained our dogs, and when we take them to the car, they just know. Like, yeah. Just and she's like, also super good in the car. Like, uh, when I go to the car, she like, she'll jump in and sit in the passenger seat. And then when I go to take her out, I'll be like, okay, wait. And she just like calmly waits for me to come around the car door and like take her out of the passenger side. Like, she's, I mean, she's only three and a half months old, and she's so fucking smart and good already. I, I can't stand it. <laughs> well, yeah, again, I sorry, I got off on a tangent there. Number so, three. Uh, number three, tangent. <laughs> um, so uh, you want to go ahead and make your recommendation, Cody? Sure, yeah. So um, uh, when we were talking about what you are interested in, you had mentioned that you, you are a fan of things that are based on a true story, right? right. Yeah. Yeah, okay, perfect. So I picked uh, a movie that's available on... Uh, Amazon Prime. It's called Bernie. Okay. Uh, Bernie is a movie from 2011, I think. I'm going to check on that. Yeah, 2011. It's written and directed by Richard Linklater, um, who uh, has made a bunch of great movies. Um, uh, but um, it is uh, it is a true story about this uh, this guy in a small Texas town who... Uh, essentially is like the favorite person of the town. He's He works for a funeral home, but he's super popular amongst the uh, the townspeople. And um, basically he decides to uh, he befriends an, an elderly woman who is like a, she's a widow and she's got a lot of money and, um, and they become like inseparable. But uh, as time goes on, uh, she becomes, you know, kind of abusive towards him. And at some point, he snaps and does a very terrible thing, and uh, the uh, the townspeople sort of struggle with kind of coping with um, how he could possibly do something so awful. And so, the reason I recommended it as as it's a crazy true story, but also it's a bit of a hybrid movie where, um, alongside having actors, it's got Jack Black, uh, Matthew McConaughey, and Shirley MacLaine. And alongside these actors are like real townspeople. So the movie is populated by people from these from the small town that this happened in and people who actually knew the people involved. So it leads to a lot of really darkly funny stuff. Um, it's the best I've ever seen Jack Black. It's, you know, I feel like Jack Black's a bit of a, it's like best in small doses kind of actor. But this is him kind of like restrained, but also like a perfect role for him. Um, and the other reason I recommended it was because uh, it was one of the first movies uh, that served as the start of the McConaissance, which was uh, the resurgence <laughs> <laughs> of uh, of Matthew McConaughey as a as a legit actor. Um, so this, so the first movie that a lot of people credit is Lincoln Lawyer, which I don't think is that great of a movie. But this was the movie immediately after, and then after this, he did like Killer Joe. Uh, he did Dallas Buyers Club. He was in Wolf of Wall Street, and he and it became this this run of like all of these great movies that eventually you know led him to winning an Oscar for Dallas Buyers Club. So um, that's my pick. Uh, it, it's got it's got a lot of stuff in it, um, and if you if you choose it, we'll, we can talk about it. But there's a lot of stuff that I hope translates because it's it is one of the most Texas movies ever made. Um, and and if you watch, you'll see what I mean. But uh, that is my pick, Bernie. Speaking of speaking of Texas movies, and uh, um, I'm in Austin, and Matthew McConaughey is our like national treasure here. <laughs> yeah, he's uh, he's been all over during this pandemic, like making PSAs and stuff. Yeah, um, he's the Texas voice of reason right now. Yeah, he's like uh, 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 doing. Uh, he did some like crazy 
a PSA about making a face mask where he called himself like Bobby Bandito. <laughs> that sounds sounds about right. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, okay, so so Lisa, my pick is um, a movie called uh, Gross Point Blank. Oh, I've um, heard of that, yeah. From 1996. Um, it's uh, kind of a black comedy uh, starring uh, John Cusack as a hitman who visits his, um, uh, uh, goes to his 20th high, or, sorry, 10th high school reunion. And he um, reconnects with his old girlfriend and he sort of disappeared right after high school and, and became a uh, paid assassin. And uh, this is about him, uh, his therapist recommending he reconnect with people um, because he's sort of a sociopath. And uh, in the process, he has to um, there's a there's jobs for him to do in, along the way uh, while he's back home in Gross Point, uh, Michigan. And um, it, it's if, oh, if, I was wondering where the title came from. And that make I grew up in Indiana. That makes so much sense. Right. So stupid. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, he. Um, uh, many it's, it features Mini Driver. Uh, Dan Aykroyd is really great in it. Um, Alan Arkin has a, a a fun role as a therapist. Um, and then uh, Jeremy Piven plays one of the guys he went to high school with, who's really funny in this movie. Um, it's sort of like a um, if you've seen High Fidelity, it's very much in the vein of that. Like this sort of um, uh, you know, Cusack plays kind of an asshole, but like a really smart, you know, uh, damaged asshole. And uh, I think if if there had been if there had been a, a, g- a good movie that Cusack made after uh, High Fidelity, it would have been part of a trilogy. But alas, it, it hasn't. So Gross Point Blank is available on uh, Netflix or. Yeah. And um, I believe it's Netflix. Sorry. I thought it's I HBO. HBO. I apologize. HBO Go. Um, but yeah, it's it's a really fun movie. Uh, so those are your picks. Don't tell us which one you're going to pick yet. And uh, the next episode, we'll talk about which one you picked and we'll do some stupid point stuff that doesn't really matter anyway, um, because everything's a competition. Uh, So, Lisa, what movie do you have to recommend for Cody and I to watch? Um, I I feel like maybe I don't I feel like everyone has seen this. But I just recently saw it again, so it's fresh in my mind. Like, so many movies I love so much, but I'm like, if I haven't seen them in the last month, I'd forget them. <laughs> um, but have have either of you not seen A League of Their Own? I it's, have not, actually. You haven't? It's been yeah. an awful long time for me. Um, oh, it's so good. I love yeah. it so much. Yeah, I um, I mean... It's it's obviously a, uh, a pop culture classic at this point with the no crying in baseball thing. Um, I probably haven't seen it since the early '90s, and Cody Cody was a child in the early '90s, so he didn't he didn't see it then. A I mean, toddler, I saw, some might say. <laughs> I, I wasn't saw, even born yet. I'm very very young. In case oh, okay. anyone's listening, I'm 14. Um, <laughs> What's that? <laughs> so in case anyone, any like Hollywood execs are listening, oh I'm yeah, 14. yeah, just very I am, accomplished. I am yeah. I'm uh, I'm 29 eternally. <laughs> no, um, um, I know my my sister. I believe enjoyed it, and and we watched it. Um, you know, it was it. That's kind of the the uh, the real run Tom Hanks went on there of doing these like movies that were really well received. And I think that's right before he won an Oscar for Philadelphia and oh, uh, Forrest I've Gump. I've also never seen that one. Oh yeah. Philadelphia is kind of gut wrenching. I mean, it's a yeah. little dated now, but man, it's um, that's a, that's a, uh, a pretty, <laughs> that movie is pretty powerful. Um, 
at times. And, you know, Forrest Gump is what he won his other Oscar for, which I unashamedly really like Forrest Gump. So, uh, yeah, League of Their Own. Cool. Um, so that's on um, looking this up. It's on uh, IMDb TV, um, a free service. And it looks like it's on uh, CBS All Access, which I have CBS All Access. So that's where I'll watch it. CBS All Access is a strange platform, by the way. Just Yeah, I think you might be one of the few who has it. <laughs> well, I wanted to watch Picard because I love Patrick Stewart. A friend of mine has a show coming out on, on it called Harper House. I don't think it's started yet. It's an animated show. Oh, really? That's cool. They do have a, a, a very big selection. And I'm sure this isn't a kid's show. But they have a lot of uh, kid's shows on there for some reason. Oh. Um, cool. So uh, we will watch uh, A League of Their Own. And you will pick one of these, the films we've recommended, and uh, we will talk about it next episode. So, Lisa, um, anything you want to plug before we wrap this episode up? Um, if you just want to follow me on, uh, I mean, depending on what the content you're looking for, if you want to follow me for <laughs> just like some jokes and uh, mostly screaming about politics, I'm on Twitter at Lisa underscore Curry. Uh, otherwise, I'm on uh, Instagram at Olympian Lisa Curry, which right now is mostly dog content so well that's perfect for instagram yeah so so why is it olympian lisa curry is that a it is olympian lisa curry because so lisa curry is actually a a, a very very common name and it's i it's impossible for me to ever get my name on any social media um and there's an olympic gold medalist named lisa curry in australia and she took our name on Instagram, so I took Olympian. <laughs> I, I don't ever have to worry about that because my name is so bizarre. Like I can get my name on any social media. Oh, so like I am so the good. I am the Jared Kingery in the world. So I'm I'm the same with my name. <laughs> yeah, that's excellent. Sure. I don't. Yeah, I. Uh, there's, there's so many Lisa Curries, and I've met a lot of them. And what's even more weird, uh, in case anyone's trying to steal our collective identity, is of all the Lisa Currys I've met, all but two were Lisa Marie Curry. Ooh. Ooh. Wow. It's Interesting. Like, what is what is really going on, guys? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, all right. Cool. Uh, so uh, also, we have two other podcasts, if you want to listen to those. Uh, Re-MCU, where we are re-watching the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um our latest episode on uh, Thor The Dark World is out now featuring uh, comedian Eddie Pence, who has a knowledge of Thor uh, The Dark World that I don't think Cody, neither of us expected Cody. No, it was it was wild. <laughs> also, you can listen to us on the Cinesnob podcast. We are reviewing um, VOD movies um, since the theaters are shut down. Um yeah, anything that comes out on VOD or Netflix or Amazon or whatever, whatever you want to do. If it's on Vimeo for free, we'll watch it. Yes, we have proven uh, that. <laughs> uh, anything else, Cody, before we wrap it up? Yeah, you can catch me Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Fridays on the Ramble podcast with uh, Jerry Rocha and Eddie Pence. Okay, cool. Uh, Lisa, thanks a lot. And we'll talk to you uh, very soon about these, uh, these films. So uh, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you so much. I'll talk to you soon. All right. On that note, I'm Jared Kingery. I'm Cody Viafania.